0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of After the Final Whistle. I am your host, Brad Clear. It is Monday, July 15th, and this episode will be the Russell Westbrook-Chris Paul trade reaction podcast. I'll look at it from OKC's standpoint, from Houston's standpoint, and really dive into it from each of their perspectives. Again, I am your host, Brad Clear. Follow me on Twitter at Brad Clear underscore. Clear is spelled K-L-I-E-R. So without further ado, let's just dive right into it. So at this point, obviously, we all know the terms of this trade. Houston is getting Russell Westbrook. Oklahoma City getting Chris Paul. A 2024 top four protected first. A 2026 top four protected first. And pick swap rights in 2021 and 2025 from Houston. Ultimately, though, I absolutely love this for Oklahoma City. Really, I don't see any way... That you can think of this not in that way for Oklahoma City. This is a slam dunk for the Oklahoma City Thunder, and for Houston, you know the the Houston um, side of this is much more interesting because I think it, it's really, you know, I don't I don't hate it, but I kind of like it in some ways. But at the same time, there are some glaring issues that result from having Russell Westbrook and James Harden together. Um, It's very interesting. I'll dive more into that as I get into the Houston side of it. But I like it in some ways, and I don't hate it for Houston. But it's definitely a to-be-determined from Houston side of this trade. So let's start off going into it from OKC's standpoint. And in my last podcast here, and on Twitter, what I said repeatedly was I thought that any potential Westbrook trade for Oklahoma City was likely going to amount to what was, in essence, a glorified salary dump. You know, I didn't think that they were going to be able to turn that contract into a significant asset or into positive assets, whether that had been picks or a young player. You know, I looked at a team like Miami, and I thought, okay, they have a lot of big money on one or two years left. It'll turn into what's a glorified salary dump. They get off the money quicker. And what happened here was... In my view, turning Westbrook into Chris Paul's, you know, albatross contract at this point, turning Chris Paul or turning Russell Westbrook into that Chris Paul contract in order to obtain um, the good draft assets that came with it, I think that was really Oklahoma City's only path to getting a significant return of positive assets for Russell Westbrook because to me... They didn't get this significant draft capital just for Westbrook, the player. That That's not what happened. What happened is they got this significant draft capital because, uh, first off, they took on Chris Paul, and second, there's a talent upgrade from Chris Paul to Russell Westbrook. In a vacuum, Russell Westbrook is not getting you two top four protected picks in 24 and 26 and pick swaps in 21 and 25. Taking in Chris Paul's contract, that is what is the main thing that got them this return. Without taking back a bad contract, a huge, substantial, long contract like they did in taking back Chris Paul's deal, I don't think that Oklahoma City had a pathway to getting significant assets in return, whether that had been a player or a pick. I struggled to see a scenario in which they even got a young player on a rookie contract with promise or a first round pick for Westbrook. I didn't see it. You know, the best that I saw as far as an asset was concerned was Justice Winslow. Again, nice player, but that's a guy already on his second contract making $13 million a year and is not on his rookie deal anymore and is not a player or a pick that I look at as potentially having significant upside. Again, nice player. But that was the best that I think that, based off of the limited market that existed for Westbrook, based off of his contract, based off of how he's going to age, they, I could not have seen a scenario outside of this trade in which Oklahoma City was going to get a better asset for Russell Westbrook than Justice Winslow. Because again, in a vacuum, Russell Westbrook, on his massive four-year $170 million contract remaining with the player that he is, highly talented player with significant flaws, and how he may or may not potentially age, that is not an asset or a player that is going to get you a significant return. It just isn't. So again, what drove this return for Russell Westbrook was not Russell Westbrook the player, it was Chris Paul's contract. And again, I'll repeat it, This was the only path that Oklahoma City had to getting significant return in terms of draft capital or an asset of any kind for Russell Westbrook. Because again, there was not a clear pathway to getting significant positive assets let alone multiple significant potentially positive assets in the form of draft capital for Russell Westbrook without taking back Chris Paul's contract. So now effectively... What's happened here is Paul George and Russell Westbrook have now become Miami's 2021 or 2021 unprotected first, um, a pick swap in 2021 with the Houston Rockets, uh, the Clippers 2022 first unprotected, Miami's first lottery protected in 2023, but the protections on it as a first round pick extend out to 2026. So it is highly likely that that pick is going to convey as a first um, 2023 pick swap with the Clippers, 2024 Clippers first round pick unprotected, 2024 the Rockets first top four protected, and in 2025, and this is the one that's really interesting to me, is they have a pick swap with both the Clippers and the Rockets, and... That's going to be really interesting because effectively the Thunder have what's going to end up being the best of those three picks. And I'm not sure that I've ever seen or heard of a circumstance in which that has happened ever in NBA history. I think that that's a very, very interesting wrinkle to this situation. Um, And then the Clippers first round pick in 2026 unprotected. And Houston's first round pick in 2026, top four protected. And then on top of that, Shea Gilgis alexander um, the 12th pick in last year's draft, who to me, point blank, is a future all-star. Danilo Gallinari, coming off the best year of his career, a highly valuable prototype of player at his current stage for a contending team, who I have no doubt in my mind, dependent on his health um, and dependent on when they trade him, will be able to get them a first-round pick or a nice young player on his rookie deal. Gallinari is a player that has value to contending teams. I think Portland makes all the sense in the world for him. Um, And then Chris Paul. So they have turned Paul George and Russell Westbrook into seven first-round picks and four pick swaps and a future potential all-star ...and a veteran that can get them more assets... ...should they flip him... ...and Chris Paul. That is significant... ...and that is an incredible job... ...by Sam Presti... ...to get this haul back... ...for George and Westbrook... ...especially in Westbrook's case. Um, And then you take all of that... ...that they got in for George and Westbrook... ...and you factor in Jeremy Grant... ...going to Denver... ...for their 2020 first round pick... Um, ...based off of these moves based off of how competitive Oklahoma City is likely to not be moving forward, they are very, very, very likely keeping their first-round pick this coming year in 2020. Um, That pick is top 20 protected, um, otherwise going to the Sixers. So very likely that'll end up with them conveying their 22 and 23 second-round picks. And then in 2022, I think this makes it very likely now that they keep their first-round pick, which would have been going to Atlanta, which would then turn into them conveying their 2024 and 25 second round picks to Atlanta. So you look at that, put all of that together, and from 2020 to 2026, the Oklahoma City Thunder have 15 first round picks and four pick swaps. And is every one of those picks going to be able to be made? Probably not. But at the same time, you have given yourself this ridiculous foundation of draft capital to cost-effectively build out your roster and to have the assets to have so many options and to be involved in so many different things Um, as far as potential scenarios or opportunities that come available in the market um, as far as trades are concerned, they have a lot of optionality. They have a lot of flexibility. And for a team in their stage, building up... um, from a tear down to building it up to being competitive, having a ton of assets at your disposal to be able to be as creative as possible in building out your roster, that's incredibly valuable. Um, they do have the sneaky ability now with all this capital to be in play for any star that becomes available in a trade. Um, it's possible. However, I think it is significantly more likely, significantly, that they kind of just hoard this. And kind of take it year by year and see what opportunities arise. And just keep all their assets and just build it up from the ground up organically through the draft. Um, so, again, you have all of that capital. You have the outlet to add, to add another first with Gallinari. You have your potential future all-star. I think he is in Shea Gilgers-Alexander. And then you already have on this team entrusted in young pieces in Darius Baisley, Hamadou Diallo, Terrence Ferguson... I'm a huge fan of Lou Dort, who they have on a two-way deal. Um, Nerland's Noel, I think, is tradable to any team in the league if they do so or choose to do so. Um, but the real interesting part of this now is Chris Paul. And first off, with Chris Paul, he a buyout, I would be absolutely stunned if a buyout is what happens here. A buyout while a guy has three years... Or 124 million and three years and $124 million remaining on his contract. I cannot see it. He is obviously not getting stretched with that amount of money and years remaining. So then you think, okay, how can they move Chris Paul? What would it take to move off of Chris Paul? Houston, in upgrading from Paul to Westbrook and getting off of Paul's contract, had to send out two top four protected picks in the far future. And two pick swaps. So to me, I, I'm i really not sure that I can see them shedding Chris Paul without attaching um, a pick or a young player as an asset to him, if not multiple. Um, because you look at Chris Paul, and I, I think it's pretty clear that the three worst contracts in the NBA right now, in some order, are Chris Paul, John Wall, and Andrew Wiggins. And... I think Andrew Wiggins is more tradable than Chris Paul. That's not saying a lot, but I think he is. Um, and John Wall, I think, as far as how bad his contract is in comparison to those other two, if John Wall never gets healthy again, that's the worst of the three. But if he does, you can very fairly argue that Chris Paul's contract is the worst in the NBA, based off of his age, the years remaining, the significant amount owed to him. You can very reasonably argue that Chris Paul's contract is the worst. In the entire NBA. Um, and so, I really can't see a way in which Oklahoma City is able to trade Paul without attaching, at minimum, Denver's first round pick for 2020 to him. I think it'll probably take more. Um, I think they may have to attach two picks to him. Again, Sam Presti's done incredibly well with this Westbrook move and the George move, so who knows? But to me, I just can't see a way that they're not going to have to attach probably two picks and at minimum that Denver pick to get off of Chris Paul. Um, it's not an issue to me that they took back another huge money deal in this Westbrook trade because they're so close to getting under the tax. Um, they're only about $2 million or so over the ta- into the tax now. So at, by getting... Under the tax at season's end, or by season's end, shedding um, a couple million dollars, I think that's very, very doable. I think it's pretty easily doable. Um, Danilo Gallinari, trading him for a lesser salary player and a first-round pick, or a nice young player, that'll get it done right there. They could trade New Orleans Noel for two second-round picks. They have a ton of options um, and have until year's end to get below um, that tax line with only being about two million over it, I think that's incredibly doable and very likely, if not inevitable. Um, they reduce the amount of money that they owe a huge contract towards, or excuse me, not the amount of money. They reduce the amount of years that they owe huge money to a player for. Um, in moving from Russell Westbrook to Chris Paul, um, they're at the same exact salary for the next three years. Russell Westbrook has the fourth year with the massive $47 million player option. Chris Paul has the three years. So in, if nothing else, you take the huge financial commitment that you're making towards one player and you've lessened it by one year. And as bad as this Chris Paul contract is, when you're getting this amount of draft capital for a player, who there's not many other avenues or options to get that return for in Russell Westbrook, you take that draft capital, you take that return, no questions asked, and then you figure it out later with Chris Paul. Um, overall, though, taking all of this analysis into account, this is a slam dunk for the Oklahoma City Thunder. They took a scenario in which a major return was not an easily foreseeable path. They were able to get a major return. Yes, they had to take back a bad contract, but if that's what it takes to get this return, which I think it was the only option they had to get this type of return, you do it, no questions asked. Slam dunk return for them. They now have the ultimate baseline foundation for a rebuild, tear down and rebuild. Um, This draft capital amount they have, whether the picks amount to being good picks, whether they're all in the 15 to 28 range, whatever it may be, you still have such an incredible volume of draft capital. And that is incredibly valuable moving forward. You can do so many different things with all of those assets at your disposal. Um, Again, ultimately with Chris Paul, I think he's moved with, at minimum, Denver's 2021st attached to him. Sam Press, he's done an incredible job with, especially this Westbrook trade, with leveraging... Um, The Clippers need to get Paul George in there into the massive return they got for him. So with these two trades, Presti has done an incredible job. He's an elite GM. And I'm very, very excited to see um, Oklahoma City moving forward in the coming years. Um, Again, besides Chris Paul, the only contracts they have that are worth $10 million or more a year after this season are Steven Adams and Dennis Schroeder. So I think they're probably locked in to both of those contracts. I don't think they're movable. Schroeder at two years at 15 million a year. Adams is at 25 this year and at 27 the year after that. I don't think those are movable. Um, but outside of Chris Paul, there's not a lot of long-term money with this team. There's a ton of draft capital. There's interesting young pieces. They've done well with these trades. Oklahoma City is in a fantastic position right now. Slam dunk trade for the Thunder. So now let's move to the really interesting side of it, the Houston Rockets. So my first takeaway in looking at this trade is that I'd be super nervous if I was the Rockets about the 2024 and 2026 firsts as well as the pick swap in 2025. Because, again, the protections, as I just mentioned, they're very light. And if you look at this group, In four years from now, five, well, actually five years from now, six years from now, seven years from now, when those um, picks and pick swaps will be in play, how good of a team is that? You know, you still have James Harden at that point. James Harden's 35 years old. How effective of a player is a 35-year-old James Harden? What type of player is Russell Westbrook at that point? How good of a player are you getting with him at that point? Um, you've lessened your draft capital, which can lessen your optionality as far as being in play to trade for a star. I, I, I could very easily envision a scenario in which the Rockets at that point are kind of, I don't want to say a very bad team, but a kind of a middling team, kind of stuck in that late lottery area um but it's not out of the realm of possibility to think that this team in that 2024 to 2026 range is not a good basketball team and therefore those assets can become pretty valuable um so I'd be very nervous about those picks going out if I was the Houston Rockets because with so much uncertainty that far out and with Harden being at that age at that point And Westbrook being who knows what at that point, I think there's a lot of room for concern. Um, I am someone who is a bigger proponent of Russell Westbrook than other people are. Um, But I am not someone who thinks that Russell um, Russell Westbrook's ability to age effectively is going to be that good. Because he's not a player that I see aging well. Um, His game is predicated on, what, athleticism, explosiveness, speed. Those are not skills that translate once you become an older player. You know, he's not a good shooter at all. That is a skill that translates as you age. He does not have that skill to rely on. So as he gets older and he naturally ages, he doesn't have a lot of fallback skills that, in his game that are going to be conducive to him being a productive player as he ages, because he relies on athleticism, he relies on explosiveness, he relies on speed. Those are all things that go away as you age. And Westbrook is a much healthier player than he is perceived to be, but with his style of play, with the components that I just mentioned that his game um, is predicated on, you can very easily see his game and his body deteriorating just with natural aging over these next four years. Um, Russell Westbrook, he's an all-NBA caliber player, no question. Just was this year. I don't see year three and year four of this contract, Russell Westbrook, being the all-NBA caliber player that he is now. Um, The next thing with this trade for me with the Rockets is, for better or worse... What's happened here now is they kind of locked themselves in with this group. You know, this is their final form at this point. This is their ultimate end result. Um, For better or worse, as I mentioned, this, this is it. This is it for the Houston Rockets. This is their group because now they have less draft ammo to go out and to be a major player in a potential trade for a star that is available on the market. Um... They have less ammo at their disposal to shed money um, on bad deals moving forward. Um, And they have now, in Russell Westbrook and James Harden, they have two players on Supermax contracts. And when you have that, you are not allowed to have a third player on a Supermax contract. So you're limited in that respect as well. So put all that together between the lesson draft capital for trade purposes to get a star player to shed potentially bad money in the coming years and having two super maxes on your books and not being able to get a third one in they are again, very, very much locked into this group. This is it with James Harden and Russell Westbrook moving forward. This is your group. This is it. For this Houston Rockets team. Now let's get into the on-court fit. So the first thing that I look at is no doubt they're a better regular season team now. Because Russell Westbrook is going to play, very, 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 very likely, is going to play more regular season games than Chris Paul. And point blank, Russell Westbrook is a better player than Chris Paul. Pretty clearly. Clearly. And it's not a question. Russell Westbrook, in addition to being a healthier player and playing more regular season games, Russell Westbrook is simply a better player than Chris Paul is right now. Um, Now, specifically, let's talk about Russell Westbrook and James Harden as a duo. Because that is the most interesting thing here, is how do two ball-dominant players, the two perhaps most ball-dominant players in the entire NBA one of which is perhaps the best offensive player in the NBA right now and is perhaps the best ISO player of all time, and one of which is an incredibly talented player with significant flaws that don't necessarily mesh well with James Harden. So Westbrook is a bad, high-volume three-point shooter. Everyone knows that. It's not a secret. Um, When the ball is in Harden's hands... Westbrook is not going to be someone who can effectively operate as an effective catch and shoot guy from 3. And in theory, that lessens the spacing around Harden and as a result operates or excuse me, lessens the amount of space that Harden has to operate when he has the ball in his hands in an iso. And that has the potential to make Harden less effective when he and Westbrook are on the court together. Um, However, there are some things that I look at and think that there are positives with Russell Westbrook on this team. First off, the way that um, D'Antoni deployed Harden and Paul and the way that he played them game to game with their minutes is D'Antoni heavily staggered James Harden and Chris Paul. So, They never went without one of them on the court when they were both healthy and playing. And so, if there is a situation in which Westbrook is on the court and Harden is not, especially if those situations are more occurring against teams largely playing their second units, as happened when Chris Paul would be on the court at times with Harden on the bench, I think that makes Houston better than if that same situation had Chris Paul in that spot. I think Westbrook in that spot instead of Chris Paul, Houston is a better team in those situations. Uh, And that's going to happen a lot because, as I mentioned, D'Antoni heavily staggered Paul and Harden, and I have no doubt that the same is going to occur for Westbrook and Harden. The idea also, this is something that's interesting to me, The idea of Houston potentially having the ability to go super small and to play a lineup with Westbrook, Harden, Gordon, uh, Tucker as your small ball five, and then you can roll with Daniel House or Gerald Green, that is appealing because it puts Russell Westbrook and shooters all around him. And when you have the ball in Westbrook's hands with those players around him, with a player like Westbrook who can get to the rim so incredibly well that allows for some really interesting opportunities because Westbrook with his ability to get to the rim super well you're going to find up or end up finding guys open for threes consistently and I really really like that idea because everyone on the court would have the ability to shoot and you can leverage Westbrook's ability to get to the rim so well you're going to get a high percentage shot often whether that's getting to the rim make and getting a layup or a dunk or getting fouled and shooting free throws, or driving to the rim, collapsing the defense, and allowing for one of those other four guys to end up being open for a shot from three, that's a really interesting situation and group that appeals to me. Um, however, there's some caveats with that group. Obviously, that can only be situational and matchup-dependent in-game situations Uh, and dependent on who your opponent is deploying as their five-man group. And that takes the ball out of James Harden's hands. And is that something that you really want to do? So that group, I think, has a lot of promise to it. I think that's a very interesting five-man group that they can run with. But it'll be very interesting to see, because I, I don't have any concern, really, for as I mentioned with how much their minutes are going to be staggered, when it's one of them on the court at the same time, Westbrook's a better player than Chris Paul. They're a better team when Westbrook is playing in the spots that Chris Paul would have been playing by himself. Together, there are glaring concerns. And I'm not going to sit here and act like those concerns are not valid because they're extremely valid. And they're very, very, very critical to look at. But overall... The Houston Rockets now, to me, clearly become a better regular season team, with the upgrade in talent, and with the upgrade in the amount of games played coming from Westbrook in comparison to Chris Paul. Westbrook is a better player, he's a more reliable player than Paul is at this stage, Paul consistently has issues with his hamstring, he is an older player, he has dealt with injury issues in these recent years, whereas Russell Westbrook has not, and, Westbrook, and Russell Westbrook has played a high volume of games um, during the regular season. Russell Westbrook also. Russell Westbrook is a top 15 player in the NBA. I know he's a very divisive player. He's a player that a lot of people uh, have varying opinions on, whether they like his game, whether they don't, because of his shooting flaws or whatever. Whether you can win with Russell Westbrook as your best player on your team or your second best player on your team, Russell Westbrook is still a top 15 player in the NBA. Chris Paul is probably in the 25 to 30 range. So you're, again, it's an upgrade in talent where I think the greatest concern comes for me with the James Harden and Russell Westbrook pairing is I'm worried about them playing on the court together in the playoffs. And that ultimately, I can say all this about how good they'll be in the regular season, how many more games Russell Westbrook's going to play. If the fit between Harden and Westbrook is not great, and that carries over into the playoffs, then that's an an incredibly large concern. And the playoffs, with those two playing at the same time, is of the utmost priority to this Houston Rockets team. And I think, again, I do think that at times, Russell Westbrook being on the court with James Harden is going to lessen the effectiveness and the spacing Um, that Harden has to operate with. And taking a situation in which you are lessening the potential um, effectiveness of your best player is not ideal. It's horrible. It's not what you want to happen. You want those around your best player to accentuate and um, make better the skills and abilities of your best player. Russell Westbrook, with his current skill set, does not necessarily do that. And I think that teams may have the ability in the playoffs, opponents of Houston, may have the ability to uh, kind of attack that lessened spacing and that lessened ability to effectively operate for Harden and for the Rockets as a whole when Westbrook and Harden are on the court together. And so I'm not really sure looking at Harden and Westbrook's fit together a way in which I can see them effectively um, playing well while they're both on the court together when the ball is in Harden's hands. I can see it with the ball in Westbrook's hands if Westbrook is willing to pass it consistently because, again, with his ability to get to the rim, you open up the floor with a bunch of different guys who can shoot the ball from the perimeter. With the ball in Harden's hands, and let's say Clint Capella's on the court also, You have Harden with the ball in his hands, Westbrook, and Capella on the court. You only have two guys on the court who can catch and shoot the ball from three. And that lessens the ability that James Harden has to effectively operate when he has the ball in his hands. It just does. And I can't think of a way to remedy that. So, ultimately, I think they're somewhere in the 2-5 to range in the West. And if you would ask me before this trade, I probably would have put them 5th with the Lakers 4th and Utah Denver in some order at two and three. I think now I'm very much interested to see whether they can pass the Lakers or the Denver Nuggets or the Jazz in the regular season standings. I think it's realistic to see them anywhere from two to five in the West. And again, as I mentioned, I would have had them at number five before this trade. I think this trade makes them a better regular season team, as I've repeatedly stated. So, Two through five, somewhere in that range. However, in the playoffs, I don't think that this improves them in the playoffs. And that's really what ultimately matters here. I look at this Western Conference and I think that in the playoffs, the Clippers are obviously better. I think Utah's better. I think Denver's better. And then you have the Lakers. And well, that's to be determined, but Right now, you know, I think you could very easily say that there are four teams that are better than the Houston Rockets in the playoffs. And with that being what is ultimately what matters, it kind of becomes, even though there's an upgrade in talent from Westbrook or from Paul to Westbrook and they're a better regular season team and they win more games, it kind of becomes somewhat of a sideways move um, as far as it not making them that much of a better team in the playoffs, if at all. I still am intrigued. I think that there are positives when the minutes are staggered, as I mentioned, because Westbrook will be more productive than Paul would be in those minutes. And the small ball lineup, which they can't do all the time, I think that small ball lineup has a lot of potential. But it remains to be seen. I'm very, very interested to see this Houston Rockets team on the court this year because I really just can't visualize Westbrook and Harden playing together. I can't picture it. I can't visualize it being an effective pairing. I'm intrigued to see if they can find a way that ends up making it an effective pairing between James Harden and Russell Westbrook. I also think, too... That, you know, you look at the Houston Rockets, this is the team that gave the Warriors the greatest problem in the last few years of anyone. If Chris Paul had not gotten hurt in the Western Conference Finals, the Houston Rockets would have won that series, and the Houston Rockets would likely have won the NBA Championship that year. And I think they're being a bit undersold as a whole as far as the talent that they have. Of course, as I mentioned, the playoff concerns are extremely valid. And the fit concerns between Russell Westbrook and James Harden are also extremely valid. You can also look at it and reasonably argue as well whether the difference between Chris Paul and his contract and talent level versus Russell Westbrook and his contract and talent level is that difference worth 2 top four protected picks, and two pick swaps. I think that's a very reasonable point of question whether that difference is so great that that amount of assets that they put in towards it, as I just mentioned, is that something that shakes out fairly in a value standpoint? I don't know. But it's very fair to question whether they gave up all of that draft capital whether it was worth it to do so ultimately though I am fascinated by this trade from the Houston Rockets standpoint the on-court fit is going to be incredibly interesting to see play out for the Oklahoma City Thunder I think it's a slam dunk I think they did an incredible job here kudos to Sam Presti uh Daryl Morey taking another big swing getting himself another star shaking up his team I'm very interested to see how this plays out and with that That will be all for this episode of After the Final Whistle. Again, I am your host, Brad Clear. Follow me on Twitter at Brad Clear underscore. Clear is spelled K-L-I-E-R. Check back here on Apple Podcast and podcast.com for more episodes of After the Final Whistle. Shout out to you, the listener. Shout out to the Houston Rockets and the Oklahoma City Thunder. And as always, goodbye and good night.